It's time to explore the unexplained, to delve into the mysteries of our world and the realms beyond, to seek out the answers to phenomena that defy conventional explanation. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G, where that journey begins. Welcome, this is Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with your host Karen Frazier and me, Chucky G. And a chat room full of nobody? Is that what we're saying? No, well, there. no, I'm in the chat Somebody? room, you're in the chat oh, room, I'm Cheryl is in the chat room, and Chad is in the chat room. Is, is that Jessica P? Where I, we right? don't even have any of our regular live listeners here tonight. I, it's Bob, so what happened? Don't be I don't here. Know. They're I coming. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> we can say yeah. for, the first, for the first half hour of the show and just, like, make honking noises or fart or growl or, I mean... Seriously, our whole show could be this honk, honk, honk. Nobody's listening. Who cares? <laughs> Honking and oh, you raspberry. Guys, you guys do remember that we're going to have thousands upon thousands of listeners on podcasts, right? And we love thousands of podcast listeners. And we love your podcasters. I cannot think listeners. of a show where we've had. Whoops! I just dropped my cell phone. What's I can't that? think of a show where we've had nobody in the live chat room. Who, nobody listening live. Jessica oh, was it, here. Okay, she Jessica. gone? Oh, she left. Oh. She's gone. She was here. She's gone. It's she okay. Us. But we'll we'll make we'll make what? the podcaster listeners show the best ever, man. That's right. I'm gonna sit here for the next half hour and make motorboat noises. <laughs> Great. This is how it's gonna go. Okay. I'm glad I'm back today. Hey. Okay. So, anyways. Well, yeah. Thanks. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I'm back. Now. Hey, hey, welcome back to TJ oh on, on the morning zoo. <laughs> with Chucky G and Karen Frazier. There you go. Hey, it's TJ the Boner. We do oh, I hate to break this up, I really, really do, but we do have an announcement that we have to make, right? Oh, we do? We do? Yes, we do. Our three hundredth show is coming up oh, and we want to oh, ask you yeah. a very important question. Please, yes. if you are interested, our 300th show is on July 7th. Any listeners? Any we'd listeners? Like you to, we'd any, like you to listen live. I don't all know. Listeners, yes, podcast or live listeners, whoever you might be. Okay. If yes. you're listening to this before, let's say June 24th or June 20, 2016. Okay. Email us your questions between now and then that you'd like to ask us on our 300th show. It can be you can ask us anything. Email. Well, well, there's a few things that are off limits. Let's be last, folks. Hey, there's a listener, Tom's here. God scared me. Hey, Did you see Chuck? Like what? What happened? I thought someone was behind me. Crying out loud, Lord. Okay. Not that. That's not funny. Tom, email us your questions. Anybody else who's listening, email us your questions. Tom, you missed try and keep them to a paranormal question. Maybe something that happened in our show in the past. Anything no, like I that. mean, just don't ask like. Yeah, you um, say like. You can ask other questions too. Yeah, like, I'm just saying, keep it food? classy, folks. Yeah. Like, like what's Karen, your what's your color? favorite food? Yeah. What is my favorite food? Yeah, like Chuck, what do you like to do on when you're on your on your days off? You know, I mean, you can do that stuff too, yeah, but okay. we would like the paranormal field Lemon. questions. Yeah. Lemons, Le- lemon right. flavor, anything. Okay. Email your yes. questions to any of us. You can get a hold of all of us: Karen Fraser, Chuck Gotsky, Cheryl Knight on Facebook. Get a hold of us on. Uh, what email you can email par- editor at paranormalunderground.net 
So yes. is the email working right now, even though there's issues with the site? Yes, the email is working. Okay. All right. Beautiful. The email is working. Um, okay. Site issues will be resolved shortly. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so email questions. Um, we are actually going to have someone else host, and Chuck and I are going to be the guests that night. And I'm sure the other thing is if you listen live, we might even let you call in. We would actually love it if you called in. That would be cool. Yes, we, we would. We would love to talk to any of our listeners. Some of our yeah. listeners, our longtime listeners, you know who you are. You know who he is. So yeah. tell our listeners how they can listen live so they can call us on our 300th show. They can listen live at mixlr.com forward slash paranormal underground. There's Bob. You're late, Bob. Paranormal dash underground dash radio. Mixlr.com forward slash paranormal dash underground dash radio. And that date will be July. Did you say 7, Cheryl? Correct. 7. July 7, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. So our usual time. But it's our 300th show. We're going to have a good time. That's Pacific time. If you're in other time zones, do the math. 6 to 8 Pacific. Maybe that's how I should sign off the show from now. On 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific. Other times, just do the math. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Thank you. At least I'm bundled in with everybody else finally. That would be good. That would be fine. (sighs) So anyways, um, our guest this evening is Mr. Matt Winget, author of Conan Doyle and the Mysterious World of Light. I'm going to talk to him just because I'm going to talk about the book and everything, but I also want to talk to him about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle because he was really into spiritualism, and I know a lot about that. So I am ready, prepared, and waiting. Also, is there something else I can bring up? There's a uh, there's a place right here in my town called the Sense of uh, Samadhi. Um, and I met these really nice people, Terry and Paul. Terry's uh, Grace is one of the owners. Um, they do like yoga. It's a yoga studio, yoga, and they do all sorts of other wonderful things there. Uh, she's also bringing to light a thing called Grace Holistic Center for Education. And if you want to donate to this, and I'll tell you what it is, you can go to www.generosity.com and find Grace Holistic Center for Education, and you can donate. Uh, the school will be a premier K-12 through institution that will foster improvements in learning and enrichment with approaches that encompass mind, body, spirit, and academics. Uh, offerings will include daily yoga, meditation, encouragement, intu- intuitive problem solving, and critical thinking. Uh, Spanish immersion is a way to enhance overall memory and academic performance. Various art programs, including music, dance, art, culinary, visual arts, will involve introduction to various materials and media. History, science, math, language, uh, aura, physical skills will be combined together to create an engaging and exciting learning experience. Besides, they're also going to do like uh, organic, non-GMO, dye-free lunches and snacks also. So I think it's kind of cool. They're trying to raise the money to create this school. That is it for, is, pe- or for grown-ups or kids? For, for, for kids, from kindergarten through Oh, school. dang it, because I want to go to school there. <laughs> I know. It's awesome, isn't it? As I read, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah, and, I, and it's funny because they're like two blocks from me. I always walk around by there, so I figured I'm just going to poke my head in there, and I met them. Like they're really nice. Yeah, they're really nice. So, and and I was talking to him stuff. Um, I'm gonna be talking with Paul. Maybe doing lunch next week. Uh, they like the the Chuck E. G. Community things. We're trying to connect a little bit. They asked me to come in as um, I could do like a, they have like guest meditation people that come in do like a meditation uh, class. It's all free, you know. Um, and uh, or do readings and stuff too. So yeah, that's really cool. Plus they're doing the that metaphysical fit 
uh, fest thing that's going to be here in um, I think it's J- J- June. I think it's, no, June. This yeah, in June. June. This is June now. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. We are in that's the month of June. Yeah, so in the June. But I just wanted to put that out there. If you want to find out more about it, go to. You can call at six three one six three zero eight 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 three five three nine three nine, and that's yes. Sense of Shema. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to plug that away. So, um, what time is it? Oh, well, I suppose it's that time. Just when you thought the world couldn't get any weirder, it's time for our news of the strange and the All righty, got some interesting news for you this week. This one comes from mirror.co.uk. Uh, titles Mass Demonic Possession. Okay, so here's how this rolls. The mass case of demonic possession has caused some pupils to suffer from seizures while others have fainted at school. Almost 100 school children are thought to have been possessed by the devil and see visions of a black a man in black trying to kill them. It's what has been described as a mass case of demonic possession. The pupils in Peru are experiencing seizures along with their horrifying hallucinations. Expert, expert, experts, experts have struggled to explain the strange goings-on, which also include widespread convulsions and fainting at the school. Uh, according to local reports, as many as 80 students uh, in northern Peru have been experiencing the supposed contagious conditions since last month. Children ages 11 through 14 are reportedly fainting and having strong muscle convulsions. Shocking video footage shows pupils who are barely conscious, repeatedly screaming, and who appear to be delirious. Uh, Dr. Anthony Choi told national channel Pan America TV, we don't understand how this has been has kept going on. We know it started on April 29th, and now it's still happening. There are almost 80 students still affected. Um, so it says another school, uh, another anonymous girl at age 13, was. they were speaking to all the different kids, uh, said several children from different classrooms fainted at the same time, got nauseous at the same time. Um, a parapsychologist who investigated paranormal ph- psychic phenomena said, it is known that years ago there were many victims of terrorism here. When the school was built, some say bones and dead bodies were found. Locals believe this is a case of demonic interference, saying some children must have planned games that involved demons such as using a Ouija board. A Ouija board is marked with letters and numbers, and some use it to communicate with the souls of the dead. Many religious organizations have warned against using the boards. As of yet, there is no rational or official explanation for strange phenomena. Okay, now, my questions are, like, are we looking into... Natural, environmental toxins yes. thank you that could be causing this all sorts of different that things that sounds like sounds more side. like yeah. an environmental issue than yeah. a, a spiritual one yep that's exactly mm-hmm. what i thought so, you know carbon monoxide gives you almost everything they just talked about nausea that kind of stuff uh fainting uh hallucinations you know hallucinations um all that kind of stuff and i'm sure there's probably other like molds and all sorts of stuff that could do the same thing don't you think sure I mean, sure i mean there's all sorts of really insidious environmental toxins um it, you know there could be lead in the water pipes there could there could be all sorts of things right yeah okay so i would hope that a school that's in charge of teaching children would know to look into those things instead mm-hmm. of jumping to the paranormal explanation correct all right so the next one i have up is our ghostly transmitting stations our bridge to parallel parallel universes this comes from strangedimensions.com while EVP researchers in our world attempt to communicate with spirits using recording devices, could there be individuals in other dimensions, incorporeal from our point of view, attempting to do the very same? Um, the breakthrough, which I believe summarized earlier this month, points in that direction. In the book, uh, 
I think it's. I think the name is Redive. Redive. I'll just say Redive. Repeatedly mentions the work of Frederick Jurgensen, another researcher of electronic voice. Is it Raudive? R A U D I V. Raudive. Yeah, I think it's Raudive. Constantine Raudive. Yes, correct. He's an early ITC researcher. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, his own book titled "Voices of Space" profoundly sparked Raudive's interest in 1965. The two of them met for demonstration of Jurgensen's recording methods. This ultimately led Rudive toward his own supernatural exploration. Um, they mentioned this because one of the most interesting things they found while re- reading Breakthrough involving Jurgensen's research, in particular the idea of mediators and transmitting stations. This is something I've never come across before, he said. Uh, referencing voices from space, Rudive describes these so-called mediators as spirit voices that assist in establishing connections, almost like spirit guides. Where where they uh, were they always necessary? Jurgensen thought so, but Radai's own recordings allegedly prove otherwise. Regardless, Jurgensen's mediator he claimed was a woman named Lena. She would tell him the time, the wavelength, and the correct transmitting station, more commonly called trans, you know transmitter stations, which broadcast radio frequencies, for picking up on ghostly voices. When Radai set out to do his own research, he thought first to contact one of these mediators, a process he claimed took six months. He attempted to follow in Jurgensen's footsteps, asking the voices if Lena was available, but she was not. He heard voices saying, I refuse, and later telling him that she had gone away. Where to? I don't know. Instead, he was told that a spirit named Spidola would be his helper. This proved true as he later heard a hissing female voice coming through in characteristics terse language of the other voices speaking of an unknown transmitting station. From then on, when he wanted to record, Radive would adjust the wavelength until he heard her voice tell him to begin recording. That's when he knew other voices would be present. Eventually, he comes to learn that even spirits in whatever realm they reside in operate transmitting stations. It appears that they, like us, are trying to communicate with worlds beyond their own. Um, he says, I can't judge the validity of these claims. I do, however, find it incredibly interesting how Radai's recordings portray the spirit world. If it truly exists and these recordings are real, there sure is a lot of bickering going on over there. It also seems to be more of an alternate dimension than an afterlife of heaven-hell situation. For example, according to Radai's transcripts, when Spidola attempts to prove assistance, other spirits would occasionally speak up and disagree with her or even claim her whole process of mediating was unnecessary. Other abbreviated Redive for not knowing what he was doing. I'm imagining spirits, these people exist in another universe, sitting around at their own radios, talking to each other, and occasionally coming across an EVP researcher from our side. Possibly, maybe, maybe likely. In my old post about Paranormal Universe clues, I mentioned ghosts as a contender, that what we see or hear as spirits are actually projections from Paranormal Universes. Uh, perhaps these otherworldly transmitter stations are yet another clue that other universes out th- are out there and that we can reach them. So I thought that was kind of interesting. They were talking about, you know, um, them on their, in, in our parallel dimension, trying to do the same thing we are and using some kind of transmitting device to transmit to us and then, you know, vice versa. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, well, I, sure. I mean, this is, this is nothing new. This is um, something that's been discussed for decades. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I just was curious to what you thought about. It. I, 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 I mean, I understand the concept behind it, and you know, yeah, it's it, they've talked about. Hey, I, I, you know what? Nothing is impossible. All right, there you go. You have it from this. Except for it, well, that's not true. I cannot put. Um, I can't like do that yoga thing where you put your feet behind your head. So that you're saying it's impossible for you. That is. 
Oh it. yeah, always. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I don't know if this this comes from the Telegraph.co.uk. I like the the title for this one because it's really short, and sweet. Stone sheep go on a rampage. That is correct. Stone sheep. That's correct. Sheep are feared to have gone on a psychotic rampage after eating (laughs) cannabis plants dumped in the Welsh village. The remains of an illegal cannabis factory was fly-tipped and worried about local fear that the sheep had been munching the plants. Uh, County Councillor Lone Richards raised the alarm, saying that these sheep have been roaming the village, causing havoc by breaking into homes. Oh my god, it's black sheep! Like the movie Black Sheep! (laughs) Yes, I love that movie. Mr. Richards said, there is already a flock of sheep roaming the village, causing a nuisance. They are getting in people's gardens, and one even entered a bungalow and left a mess in the bedroom. He warned of the dangers of the rest of the flock, discovering the remains of the cannabis plantation dumped at at Rise Pandy in the valley in South Wales. So that's right. Sheep are running around, pooping in people's houses, munching on cannabis, and causing destruction. I find that pretty amusing. What do you think? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what? Like the eight of just went crazy and started running. You would think that if you're eating cannabis, you'd be all mellow. You know, like yeah, hey, whatever, dude. You know, yeah, dude. but okay. So imagine, so as a human being doing cannabis, mm-hmm. you have the expectation when you start to have the experiences related to the cannabis, you understand what happens. You have a consciousness that understands why you're having these weird experiences, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yep. Well, sheep, I don't think, I mean, they didn't know they were eating something. Ew, again, stoned. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> that would be disconcerting, and I would think that perhaps, yes, they would, uh, yeah, you know. I think I think in a little I more disconcerting would be if you saw, like, it, a it, it sounds like, I don't know, it made me think of that plot, that movie Black, Black Sheep. Black Sheep, I love that movie. <laughs> That's hilarious. I can see, I, like, sheep sitting on the, the corner smoking a doobie. Hey, what's up? Oh, you know, I think like, okay, I know people think it's funny to get their dogs or cats stoned or something. And I think it's just beyond cruel because I, because they don't have the capacity to understand what's happening. It's got to be really weird for them and disconcerting and scary. And yeah, well, it'd be like, it'd be like if we were on acid, same thing. Like you don't know. Well, if we did it without knowing. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't they sell catnip though? Isn't catnip like something you give cats? I don't. I never understood catnip. Explain this. Love catnip. I don't know if they like. I I don't know if it actually makes them stoned or what. I don't know. I just know that my cat rolls around in it. Like I mean, and then but then she has like a shut off thing, so she'll she'll be crazy for a few minutes, and then Uh it's like she won't go near that for hours again. Really. Because I've seen some cats on catnip. They're like bouncing around, freaking out. And it's like, what the heck? And a lot of cats. My bounce. cat bounces around, freaks out all the time. Cat, That's just a cat. I mean, you've well, described a cat. Well, but I mean, you know, I understand some cats jump around. But, you know, there are cats that just chill, too. And then you see them on catnip. And all of a sudden, they're like just freaking out, looking around all over the place and spinning around. And Well, they're the same way on a red dot from a laser. So there you go. Ooh, never tried that. I'll have to get a cat and get a red dot and see how that works. The laser red dot with the cats. Oh, trust me. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the news this week. First, we went from demonic possession to um, parallel universes to stone cheap. I go from one end to the next. You know, a little bit of everything. You really do. You a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Something for everyone, folks, because we well, love our listeners. Yeah, I do find the parallel universe thing pretty interesting, though. I mean, I mean, I understand. Yeah, okay, uh, they've been talking about it for a long time, but I still find it. Uh, interesting that there could be even it could be me over in another 
dimension, which is kind of mind blowing, trying to talk to me over here. You know what I mean? With doing, you know, using EVP uh, equipment, you know, like recorders or whatever they have on. So, you know, I did um, a life between lives regression hypnotherapy session once, right? Okay. Yes. Yes. And in that, one of the things that they um, talked about. Mm-hmm. Or that they asked me about was what like my job was when mm-hmm. I'm not here, and I said um, I facilitate communication between the realms. Okay, wasn't that kind of the same thing? Well, I and suppose. so then I started thinking about it, and that's what I do here. I communicate with the other side, right? So right. what if part of me is on the other side facilitating me communicating? I'm communicating with me to communicate. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I'm thinking it on a, uh, like, I'm not thinking of it as a psychic. I'm thinking about, like, a technological, like, they're using machinery from over there to do this. And, you know, it's just, well, it's just the I same mean, thing, really. We, yeah, we can, we, can get in the, we can get in the quantum physics discussion about parallel universes and how likely they are and also how many um, dimensions that they believe are folded and collapsed that we don't perceive because we only perceive the three dimensions plus time. Right. Um, and so there are all these dimensions that exist in our universe that we don't perceive. And, um, you know, they, all of the stuff that we we are sort of getting the bleed through could be coming through from those collapsed dimensions as well. Yeah. Well, like when they're saying, oh, you know, maybe it's when the veil gets thin, that's when we can communicate. It could or, just be that's just. Yeah. Or our through, life. Right? Yeah. Or our lives could be like um, when you sit down to play a video game. Mm-hmm. And you have all of the infinite possibilities that your video character can go into, right? Right, right. Um, depending on what you choose. Well, all of those exist in the program for the game. All right. of those parallel things exist at once. But your awareness is where you choose to let your character go. So what if that's just life, too? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, we all, we're all, well, I mean, we all, we're all, it's interesting that we're all here, though. You know, we don't, we're not. I suppose. Well, then, what technically, if we're not? Chuck, well, yeah, what if, I know. No, what if we're not? What if actually what we are is um, just a construct that you have created to teach yourself a lesson, and this is just you having a dream, and I am you, and Cheryl is you, and our radio listeners are you, and the radio show is you, and all it all it is is you creating this world so that you can learn things. Well, oh, you should I see would... the look on his face right now. Well, then there should be a lot more yous in the chat room. Come on, people! Come on, Chuck, <laughs> get over there. <laughs> oh my god that's just too weird no, i can't think of it that way i have to i have to try that no but i understand it's like you know when you meditate and you know you connect to the to other realms and such um you're actually not here then you're there you know well you're physically you're here but mentally you're not so um yeah that's pretty crazy it's just it's just mind-blowing when you think about it it's a lot to, it's a lot to take in so you would have you you would have really had your brain spinning a zillion miles an hour last week with our show. What yeah. was the what was his Are you name? Cheryl Space. What was well, Dick Larson uh, was on? But the guy he's talking he, about. He all was I, talking oh. about. Yeah, he was talking about Maitreya. Well, thank good because all I could come up with was Radicchio. Yeah, isn't my, no, isn't Maitreya like the? <laughs> isn't Maitreya going to be the person that comes back that says, "Hey." Yes, yeah, think really is kind of- but there was so much there was so much more than that and i mean listen to the show honestly chuck listen oh, to it i uh, liked it chuck yeah, yeah. it was it, it it yeah there's a lot to think about 
especially what he was saying about like aliens and life on the other planets not mm-hmm. aliens ets mm-hmm. and life on the other planets and it just <sighs> wow there's a lot of that a lot of that noise going on that day huh? i'm gonna yes. go i'm gonna go back and listen to it now it I'm was it, it was um it was one of the most i don't want to say eye-opening but the most mind-stretching shows we've done for me yeah yeah wow i think uh, i can't remember who it was when we we were talking about like um what you're talking about the um parallel parallel universes and uh you know that kind of stuff that's whatever we get into any of that it's just it's it's hard for me i mean i I understand the concept i understand atoms and molecules moving and these things aren't really solid and blah 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 but it's just it's really weird. It's a really weird concept when you're when you're living in the now. Well, you when you feel like you're living in the now. How's that? Yep. Well, it, but if you think about yourself and you think about what you truly are is vast, like just your solid person. You're not actually solid. Your vast empty space with uh-huh. just a dusting of you over the top of it, but it appears solid. It is. Yeah, it's amazing. That's crazy. Well, if I could just materialize some money, if I forgot how to do that, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Well, you, you know. sounded like you were trying to poop out money, and I don't think that's. <laughs> what it well, if I could do that too, I would. Just like a golden goose with the gold, pooping out the gold. Are you? Eggs, are I you? Lots of money. No, I've got one ready. Are you cash to pay it? Yeah. I wish I was cash to pay it. That's what you need is casharia. If I was cash to pay it, I'd get some XLX and I'd take care of that. I'd be rich. There you go. All right. And with so, that, yeah, are we, uh, Cheryl's looking disturbed and we veered into, you know. Poop land. We used, yeah. Yeah, we we're in poop land right, right now. All right. Well, hey. Hey. at least we're not talking about testicles or anything like that. So. All right. So now you stick are. Around. I'm sorry. My bad. Now I, Oops. I can't get that out of my head. No. Um, all right, so stick around, everybody. We're going to take a break here listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark here on MixLR. We'll be right back. Hey, great T-shirt. I've heard of that place. It's really supposed to be haunted. You wear such cool T-shirts. You must have been, what, to every haunted spot in the country? Well, not really. I'm a member of HauntedShirtClub.com. I get a great T-shirt from a different haunted place every month along with an info card with photos and stories and more. I can hardly wait to open it every month. Wow, I have to check that out. HauntedShirtClub.com, right? Yep, that's it. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier from Paranormal Underground Radio. I'm here to tell you about my latest book, Pioneer Spirits, Investigating the Haunted Lewis County Historical Museum. In the book, I got together with Patty Valdez, South Sound Paranormal Research. SSPR has actually interacted with the ghosts at the Lewis County Historical Museum for more than seven years, and the experiences that I've had there as a volunteer and paranormal investigator have been significant. So I'm excited to share the story of the ghosts there with you. I hope you'll pick up a copy of Pioneer Spirits so that you too can know what it's like to encounter one of Washington State's most active haunts. This book is available on Amazon.com or you can visit my website at authorkarenfraser.com. My name is Daryl E. Berry Jr., longtime practitioner, researcher, and explorer of things metaphysical, mystical, and cutting edge, and founder and director of Next Density 
a research, education, and development effort for personal and thus global progress, transformation, and development. My current and upcoming books include Travel Far, Classes on A Course in Miracles, and Next to Density. For my books and other writings, videos, interviews, public talks, and workshops, and to schedule for consultations, classes, and courses, visit DarylEBerryJr.com or NextDensity.org. Next Density. Change yourself. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Do you want to keep up with what's going on at Paranormal Underground? Then tweet us on Twitter at ParanormalUG. Or follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Underground. Meet us on MySpace, Paranormal Underground. There's no need to be in the dark about what's going on at Paranormal Underground. Join us on your favorite social networking site today. So you're looking for the best in Paranormal Radio. Well, you just found it. Right here on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark. Join me, Chucky G, and my awesome co-host, Karen Frazier, for topics ranging from the metaphysical to the unexplained. That's right. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states on MixLR, we will delve into all things paranormal. And along the way, we hope to entertain you and have a few laughs as well. So join us on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark, exploring the unexplained. We are back on MixLR. This is Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark with your host, Ken Frazier, and me, the lovely Chucky G. The lovely and talented uh, Chucky G. Don Tootin, I am. And we're, we're just uh, going to bring our guest down right now, Mr. Matt Ooh, Wingett, author. Just, just a minute. Oh, I have to wait, say, yes. he is a Go rock ahead. star because it is 2.30 oh, in the morning where he dude. is. And, and he's wearing the most beautiful smoky jacket. He's in his bathroom. I think uh-huh. he got out of bed for this interview. He's got I, his I cup so. of tea and he's got his teapot so, and his tea yeah. cozy. <laughs> and, his, and, his, and his cup says, I love you so every time he drinks it i feel really i feel you really feel connected to i feel warm and fuzzy man i feel warm and fuzzy cheers yeah right. there you go tea is love this is my tea is love man well, <laughs> tea is love that's the that's I, the I today. That, that is herbal tea since you're planning on going back to bed when we're done here uh, i can't go uh, it's it's the full thing it's caffeine it's all the way there man it's you know <laughs> don't drink any of that rubbish any of that nonsense it's got to be the real thing <laughs> okay. Is, is herbal tea like an American thing? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, actually, the way you say oh, it, the truth really comes good. out. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's no, right. Herbal, we'll, herbal we'll, tea, right? Yeah, we'll pronounce the H's over here, so you know. Um, <laughs> but but it's not particularly. I mean, my my girlfriend drinks like she loves a bit of ginger and and chamomile. That's that's you know that's her thing. So, but for me, I don't know. I was just brought up with tea, and that's it. It's got to be tea. And it's got to be real tea, so yeah. All right, Earl Grey, Earl Grey tea. Well, yeah. Don't you got, wait? Don't you guys don't drink coffee? Earl Grey. You, don't, what, you don't drink coffee? What's going on? What, uh, what, why you, coffee. What, what's that? Uh, uh, what's that? Okay, here's the thing with Earl Grey: is that that um, 
we Americans are not cultured, and so we we never bother to learn about other cultures other than our own, and so we have stereotypical views of pretty much every other culture in the world that's not America. I got well. Hey, yeah, well, that's true. I think that's probably true of every culture in the world. I it? think so too. I think that's really true. It's, don't put yourselves down. We're all, you know, the ignorance isn't isn't a uh, an American monopoly. I can tell you. Oh, okay. I know. I once asked an Australian <laughs> guest if you could ride a kangaroo. I was serious. I didn't know. He's like, I hope he said yes. He said no. It's not my. It was not my finest hour. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was bummed. I think it would be fun riding a kangaroo. Well, yeah. If you don't <laughs> ask, you never know, right? I mean, the reason I responded about the Earl Grey tea is that uh, I've got to say that Earl Grey for me personally is is like it's a complete no no. I can't really? work out why anyone drinks Earl Grey. It's like there's this lord. He's sitting in his big house and he accidentally tips some of his wife's perfume in the teapot, right? And then he goes, "Oh, I meant to do that," <laughs> and um, and then drinks it because he doesn't want to admit that he's an idiot. And somehow it can't. That's how it, That's what it's from. <laughs> that's that's my theory. Oh because yeah, it, because it's got the bergamot in it, which is actually yeah. No, yeah. that's bad, huh? Yeah, the bitter, it's the bitter orange, the bergamot. It's very um, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Good there stuff. you go, folks. Well, there you go. And so the you tuned in to tea. listen to you tuned in to listen to paranormal, and here we are. That's right. We're talking, talking to tea, folks. It's tea talking time. To, paranormal we're talking radio in the dark. Yes, we're talking the history of tea, and I used my H there. Did you see that? Right. I used the history, not the history. History the of history. tea. There you go. <laughs> history of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so anyways, so yes, we want to talk to you this evening about the Conan, uh, Conan Doyle and the mystery world, the mysterious, mysterious world of light. Sorry, I can't speak this evening. Maybe you but need some tea. I, I need something more than I'll, tea, I believe. I'll but, pour it down the computer. Well, thank no, you. that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> but, I, but I want to kind of talk about you, sir. I want to I'll get a little background on you for our listeners. Okay. You. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, we don't have we don't sure. have to go back to where you're like in a you know the womb or anything, but you know somewhere you can if you want. <laughs> no, about your childhood, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 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 a professional writer. That's what I do for a living. I I write uh, all sorts of things, articles. I used to write TV shows over here. Um, I uh, I write stories, and I've just finished a novel. And um, and I'm very, very interested in about 10 years ago, I started getting interested in local history where I live, which is in Portsmouth on the south coast of the UK. And that really is what got me into thinking about Conan Doyle, because it so happens that he lived about half a mile from where I live now. Right. And uh, yeah, when I started thinking about that and I started doing a bit of research, I realized that actually two extraordinary things happened in Portsmouth, just up the road from where I am. And, you know, what a great inspiration for a writer, Arthur Conan Doyle. But those two things were that he got into spiritualism in 1887. And in the very same year, he got into, or he didn't get into, he he wrote uh, A Study in Scarlet, his first Sherlock Holmes novel. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was a really interesting kind of contradiction that they should both happen, or maybe not contradiction, but contrast, that they should happen... You know, in the same year, he's thinking about this completely ultra scientific, rational guy. And, you know, from from the stereotypes that I had about spiritualism at the time. Um, also, this 
this belief in kind of the world of ghosts and telepathy and telekinesis and and psychometry and and seances and I thought how do those two things fit together so that's that's really where I kind of got going with Conan Doyle. So do the two things fit together because the rational creating that character was creating a compartment for that part of himself? Yeah I I think it's also uh, it's there's two there's two sides to Conan Doyle really um I think the mistake I made when I first started looking into it was in thinking that Conan, that Sherlock Holmes was the most important thing in Conan Doyle's life. And, and it was in one way in particular, which was that it made him shed loads of money. It made him an absolute millionaire. I mean, you know, made him a lot of money, Sherlock Holmes. But actually, after he wrote um, Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and he killed Sherlock Holmes off at the Reichenbach Falls, that was it. Not interested anymore. And it was only when he was forced to to bring him back with the Hand of the Basketballs in, in 1902 that um, that he brought him back. But he, he begrudged Sherlock Holmes in many ways because he thought that it, he actually said, if I am remembered uh, solely for my, the creation of Sherlock Holmes, I will consider my life a failure. Mm. Now, as a writer, I could do with a failure like that. Right. I know I'm a writer. I'm a professional writer, too. I'm right there with you. Um, so, yeah, I'll take that failure any any day. But I that's actually one of the most interesting things to me is that he killed off Sherlock Holmes and he was done with him. He was yeah. done. And yet there was such public outcry that he was forced to bring him back. And he resented that for the rest of his life, didn't he? Well, he, he did. And yet at the same time, you don't cook the gold the goose that lays the golden eggs yeah. you know yeah yeah and uh, and he continued with the Sherlock Holmes stories but the premise I think he found I think when, when I look back on it the premise of Sherlock Holmes this incredible materialistic rational guy uh, in, in a materialistic universe is a hangover from his time as a medical student and by the time he'd got to 1887 so he's five years out from college six years out from college when he wrote it it's still in his head, but he's now experimenting and looking at new things. And so it's, it's, the, it's a flowering of what for him is an old thought system. Mm. That's, kind of, that's kind of how it looks. So, so you think that he started out as a rationalist and he progressed? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. What, what happened was he was brought up a Roman Catholic and uh, he went to, uh, I've forgotten the name of the school. It's early in the morning. <laughs> he, went, he went to a, a school. It will come back to me later. He went to a school in... Um, uh, in Lancashire, uh, where it was a Roman Catholic college. And basically, they treated him really badly. One of the things that he saw there was uh, preachers fulminating against those who had not heard the word of Christ. And he felt that it was really deeply unfair that natives around the world and people throughout history who hadn't even heard of Jesus Christ are going to be consigned to the flames. That's kind of how he saw it, just completely unfair. And he also, at the same time, saw the cruelty of the Jesuit teachers. Um, uh, he, um, he was introduced to something called the tolly. And the tolly was a thick rubber slab, which if you misbehaved, you were beaten with. And he said, you know, if I'd, if I'd been um, taught with kindness and love, uh, they'd have got much better results out of me than, than, than bullying and, 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 uh, uh, and violence. 
And that was the starting point of his chasm, as he called it, the great rift that he had with with uh, religion. And so by the end of his medical degree, which is at Edinburgh University, you know, one of the great centres of what had been the Enlightenment, um, he, you know, that kind of rationalistic view of the world was locked in and he saw, he wrote about it later in, in Memories and Adventures, uh, and he said, um, uh, you know, his belief at the time was that um, when the candle goes out, uh, the flame goes out and expires, that's an end of it. And that's what he saw as the soul, basically. Mm-hmm. As, as, so that's what the, the view that he left when he left um, Edinburgh University. It was a complete materialist. That was a long answer for such a short question. No, I know. But it's cool because what it sounds like you're describing to me is a man who experienced a crisis of faith mm-hmm. and came out the other side in a very different way. Very, I mean, very, very early. Uh, very, very early. Yeah. But, um, you know, because he was a, when I say school, obviously the the word school in in Britain and America is used differently. We we I mean like a schoolboy of like you know between the ages of sort of eight and eleven, eight and twelve. Mm-hmm. That's when he was at, at the college. Wow. Uh, you know, eight and fourteen. But and, and he had that crisis very very early. He just thought the, the Jesuits were complete hypocrites. But that then leaves him with a gap. Uh, and whilst he considers that, you know, when he comes out from medical university, uh, u- from university in Edinburgh, that he's got his answer, um, it's not enough for him. He asks himself, where is the man within? I can see the machinery. I can see the, the flesh and the blood. But where is the soul of the man within? It doesn't work just by looking at the body. And that's that's where the doubts start to creep back in again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think at 1890 three or somewhere on there that's when he joined the was the british society of cyclical yeah that's right yeah and um and then i think that's when he started because i i know that you know when you were talking about sherlock holmes in his books that at some point he just said you know like you said even when he went back i'm done with this now and he wrote like 60 books on spiritualism and all these different things you know and i found that pretty interesting he was into telepathy and um and could you talk a little bit about like you know when we're talking about that um, he he had a little uh, well a connection slash run in with Houdini. He did. Now it's it's uh, the Houdini story is, is interesting. It's actually outside of my uh, the, the research that I've done for the book. So if I talk mm-hmm. about it, I will be talking pretty much off the top of my head. <laughs> That's okay. okay. That's what we're doing. Well, I mean, uh, okay. okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the thing about Houdini was that he became aware of Houdini in, in the nineteen teens, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, so quite a lot later on. I don't know if you've seen this Houdini and Doyle TV show uh, that's been on lately. Have you seen no. this? No. Huh? Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's basically it's everything in it is is historically just wrong. Uh, oh yeah. Well, usually. Surprise! That's, yeah. okay. that's, <laughs> that's history is apparently not <laughs> as interesting. No, that's impossible. <laughs> it makes it makes great fun. It's you know it's it's a, it's, it's a fun story. It's just that yeah. if you try to kind of piece together his life from watching Houdini and Doyle, you'll get in a real mess. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he hears about him in the 19 teens and gets to know him in the 1920s. And there is a belief because Houdini started off as a fake medium. He started off as, as someone who, who made his money by beguiling and fooling, uh, those who were, um, uh, um, credulous into believing what, uh, you know, believing what he was telling them about, about their loved ones. And he did it through a variety of methods. He did it through sleight of hand. He did it through um, skilled cold reading. Very much like, have you heard of Darren Brown? No. Have you heard of Darren Brown at all? No. No, okay. Well, he's, he's a very interesting and, and talented uh, hypnotist stroke showman. 
um, oh, yeah. in the, like in the modern like day. And he's excellent at cold reading and, and these kind of things. And this is what Houdini did. But he was so convincing that many spiritualists started to believe that he was a, he was the real thing. And, and when he came out and said, I, I was making it all up, they didn't believe him. Um, and Conan Doyle uh, got to know him and actually they became very fast friends. And why they became firm friends isn't quite clear, but it's possible that Houdini got to know Doyle because he was so famous and that he would get a bit of borrowed fame from his friendship with him. Um, but having, um, having befriended him, Doyle set about seeking to convert him and, or tr show him the truth of spiritualism. And his argument was essentially, well, just because you can replicate these uh, effects, these phenomena, doesn't mean that all of these phenomena are fake. And he, he gave him a... Uh, he, he even, uh, his wife, uh, Conan Doyle's wife, Jean Leckie, Jean Conan Doyle, yeah. later um she even gave him a a, a, a reading you know a, a, and and put houdini in, in touch with his deceased mother uh, houdini however at the time was very polite about it and said oh this is very interesting but afterwards he said well my mom couldn't speak two words of english you know she she couldn't put two words together in english how she's able to write a note you know, to me uh, with automatic writing, which is you know, just kind of perfect English. I have no idea. And I, you know, and he clearly didn't believe it. But yeah, so as time went by, the, the, the relationship between Conan Doyle and uh, Houdini soured. And Houdini, uh, Conan Doyle was absolutely convinced that, that Houdini was hiding the truth, that he was in fact a genuine spiritualist because it would affect his, um, uh, it would affect his income as a showman. So, yeah, kind of interesting, very strange tale. Yeah. That is I, uh, an interesting tale. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, I found mm. it interesting how, because uh, I, I I remember exactly what you were talking about where his, his wife read that all out, and he's like, no, my mom didn't speak English, so there's no way, you know. And mm. then that's, after that is when they kind of, like, split, and that was it, and they went their separate ways. So, mm. um, so uh, the book that you have, Conan Doyle and the Mysterious World of Light, what, what's, it, what's it about? What's it? What's okay. Okay. Well, it's part one of a projected three-part series, but this this first part um, is essentially. Uh, I started asking that question when I was walking around in Portsmouth and, and kind of thinking about the different amazing writers that come from this town. And there are four great writers from this town. Charles Dickens was born here. H.G. Uh, Wells, inventor of the time machine, the invisible. God. Okay. Yeah. Okay, was uh, working in a in a drapery bazaar just up the road from me. Um, uh, Rudyard Kipling, Britain's yeah, absolutely wow. the invented the creation of Jungle Book, Britain's first ever uh, Nobel Prize winner for literature and the youngest ever Nobel Prize winner for literature to this day uh, grew up here. And then we've got Conan Doyle inventing Sherlock Holmes here. So the, the literary pedigree in Portsmouth is is extraordinary. Uh, and I got thinking about Conan Doyle and, and I just started doing some more research. And, and at the time, um, Portsmouth City Council had just been given a bequest called the Richard Lancelin Green Bequest, uh, where a collector, Richard Lancelin Green, had been collecting Conan Doyle all his life. Richard was a millionaire and he collected all the first editions. He collected letters. He collected photographs. He collected 
all sorts of stuff. I mean, he was so obsessive about it that he had at one point started a project where he wanted to work out what Arthur Conan Doyle was doing on every single day of his life. Um, I mean, it's extraordinary. That the, sounds like a challenge. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, the archive uh, extends to 40,000 documents plus a third of 16,000 artifacts, including boxing gloves and waistcoats owned by Conan Doyle and all sorts of extraordinary things. Um, and I, I happened to be in at the library and talking to the chief archivist. And he said, do you want to come and have a look? We've just got it in. And I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, yeah. So... So I went in and, and you weren't meant to. It's like not meant to be open to the public, but he just, you know, he just showed it to me. And, and there's this room. It's like it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> you know, that scene at the end. Yeah, with all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> all the boxes. I'm just like, whoa, this is great. So I, I couldn't resist it. I just opened one of the boxes and just had a look. And out came the Ark of the Covenant. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that would no. be a totally different interview. That yeah, that would be a different so show. <laughs> but um, yeah, I opened this box, and, and the, the magazine on the top of the box was a copy of Light magazine. And it, it turns out that Light was yes. uh, a magazine, the very first ever spiritualist magazine that he wrote for, uh, otherwise uh, subtitled a journal of the uh, uh, psychical, occult, and mystical and paranormal. And um, it, it was in light that he first made his his statement that he believed in spiritualism in 1887. And I just started reading about this. And I thought, this is really interesting. You know, and it was interesting fluke that the first thing I should open was this magazine light. The more I looked into light magazine, the more I realized that it traced his entire spiritualist career right the way from the beginning through to the end. Um, it was the organ of the London Spiritualist Alliance, which uh, uh, of which I think he became the uh, uh, the president later on in the, in the late 1920s. Um, and it just, what it did was it, it reported, okay, so there's this young obscure doctor in 1887 and gets it publishes a letter from him saying, I, you know, I've been convinced by this. Yeah. And then by 1916, when he's famous, and he then starts to really go for it as a spiritualist, it covers everything he does, stuff that he wrote for other artists, for other magazines, interviews, um, uh, books, it reviews of books he wrote, extracts from books. It's an extraordinary resource. And I thought, if you're going to trace how Conan Doyle became a spiritualist and the reasons why, actually it would make sense to publish everything about Conan Doyle in light. And that was the starting point, but it went on from there to become a much more, rather than a photocopying job, the book grew into something really much more um, complex. And it really does trace... It traces Kondor's thinking because you can't publish one article which or letter, which is a reply to another letter without setting it in context. Mm -hmm. You've then got all the people around Conan Doyle who are equally, um, you know, into their spiritualism. And these are famous people and they also need to be looked at and, and explored. Uh, and then there are the opponents of spiritualism, um, uh, you know, the, the, the priests and scientists um, so this whole mixture of, of fascinating individuals then fed into Conan Doyle and the Mysterious World of Light, uh, which traces that early part of his spiritualist career. Wow. So you said three books or four? I'm sorry. It's going it's, it's to be a triple decker. It's going to be three parts. But but part one is 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 it's not like it's not like part one uh, leaves you on a cliffhanger. Part one right. is a self-contained self-contained study. Right, right of 1887 to 1920. In 1920, he leaves the shores of the UK to go to 
uh, Australia and New Zealand as a spiritualist missionary to spread the word of spiritualism in Australia. And that is the point at which we leave it. This is a whole new set of commitments to spread the word. And he does that for the last 10 years of, a lo- of his life. Wow. Okay, so we need to go to break. This is a perfect time to do it. Uh, let's do that. Go to break. You can sip some more of that tea. <laughs> so stick her- Yep, stick around. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark on MixLR. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Hey, great t-shirt. I've heard of that place. It's really supposed to be haunted. You wear such cool t-shirts. You must have been, what, to every haunted spot in the country? Well, not really. I'm a member of HauntedShirtClub.com. I get a great t-shirt from a different haunted place every month along with an info card with photos and stories and more. I can hardly wait to open it every month. Wow, I have to check that out. HauntedShirtClub.com, right? Yep, that's it. You are a waste, a loser. Everyone hates you. Why don't you just stay in your car and keep driving? I'm serious. Drive until you run out of gas, then get out of your car and walk until you find someone who doesn't think you're dumber than bricks. Could take a while, but at least all that walking might burn a couple of calories. You may not witness bullying like this every day. Your kids do. They want to help, but they don't know how. Visit StopBullying.gov to learn safe, simple ways your child can help stop bullying. Be more than a bystander at StopBullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. The traditional light bulb. A groundbreaking invention in 1879. It's time we switch to longer-lasting Energy Star light bulbs. They're more efficient than the old bulbs. Like a text message is more efficient than a carrier pigeon. And they cut down on our energy costs. Because in our own groundbreaking age, we deserve a light bulb that saves us some cash. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Hello, this is Nolan Ethan, and you're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Good job, guys. This is Paranormal, Paranormal Underground Radio. In the dark on MixLR, we are back. I had fingers pointing at me. We're on. We're going. We're going. Go. Go, Tuck. Go. So we are here. We are here with Matt Wingett, and we are talking about Sir uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And you uh, are Spitzer. having the hardest time saying that name. I have. I have just have too many notes in front of me. Is what it is. I looked at one. I went. I, I tried to put them together. So I saw him. Did you see him slipping that drink earlier? That's what it was. Uh, I did. I did. Well, we, feel, we feel we do better when we do the show drunk. We'll be quite honest about okay, that. Okay, can't see what's going on right now. There you go. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so yes, we were talking about all that on break. You were talking about how at one point he kind of was starting to slip a little bit on his um thought process you know? and yeah. as the yeah. count. Yeah. But yeah. Be- before we talk about what you were talking yeah. about, they had that the coming of the fairies. Where the mm. two girls had the fairies, they found the fairies. There was a photograph of the fairies, and he came along saying it was all true and real. Of course, we know that it was just you know pictures stuck on. Mm. I think it was stick some thing. So I mean, he could be fooled too. You know what I mean? Um, 
Yeah, but, you know, with Conan Doyle, he was kind of his own worst enemy because um, he had what I would describe as a slightly technical word, synectoketic form of thinking. I feel bad now. Go ahead. Yeah, there you go. See, (laughs) synectoketic. So what he would do is he would take a single thing and make that stand for everything. That was how he got into spiritualism in the first place. Uh, was that one event occurred and he went through this one event, everything is proven. And what happened with um, with the girls, uh, with the Cottingley fairies, is that there's, a, there's quite a long uh, lead up to it. Uh, when he was traveling through France in the 1890s, yes, about 1896, um, he'd been... Um, He'd been traveling through Switzerland and he was coming back through France to come back to the UK. And he had an idea for a story. And the story was that um, there would be a group of people and they would be holed up in this very particular hotel in a particular um, pass in Switzerland. There would be snow all around and people would start being killed. So, you know, great sort of, you know, central premise. Mm-hmm. And he started writing it. And then by sheer chance, as he's going through France, he picked up a collection of short stories by Guy de Maupassant. And he started reading that and there was his story. It was identical. He wrote it was identical in every way, except that I had also the the Guy de Maupassant had also added a savage hound to the story. Now, what he didn't want, uh, you know, he was so grateful that he had had this luck of finding this identical story and set in the same place, in the same pass in Switzerland with the same premise. And he thought this can't be coincidence. This has got to be divine intervention. So God has prevented me or some higher spirit has prevented me from losing my uh, reputation uh, by ripping off another story writer, a, a French uh, author. So he had this this idea of divine intervention. It was very strong in him. The Cottingley Fairies story, I think it was 1920. It was 1920. That's right. When um, when the Cottingley Fairy story started is that he had just been writing a um, an article for the Strand magazine about how children, there's a tradition across many cultures across the world of children seeing small nature spirits. And he thought, well, you know, maybe there's something in it. And he had just finished writing the article for the Strand magazine when a telegram arrived for him or a letter, I can't remember which, uh, from Felicia Scatchard, who uh, was the editor of The Two Worlds, telling him that two girls in uh, the north of England had uh, been producing photographs of fairies. And for him, this was not coincidence. This was divine intervention. This was once again, and you often see this with people who are of a very strong spiritual nature, which is that they retrofit the facts. So they turn coincidences into synchronicity. Um, And he therefore thought, I'm being told I'm being told, you know, the, the most, uh, you know, the most important thing by um, uh, by uh, by by the big man himself, by by God himself. And that's what it's all about. So he was already queued up to believe. And I just got to say, I just saw a wizard walk across the. Uh, I know. Can yeah. you believe it? Yeah. You're a wizard, <laughs> we have, Harry. We, we're, we have everything for you here. You actually, you actually did really well with that. You only slightly lost yes. your train of thought. I know. I thought he was going to lose it there. Chad was wearing the wizard hats, just so you know, people. You couldn't see it, but it was wonderful. It was beautiful. <laughs> that was the marvels of Skype. Oh, okay. So, anyways. All right. Yeah. 
Yep. So basically, yeah. And then you were also talking about. Um, can you talk a little bit about the Poltergeist case? You were you were talking to us off off air about that. Yeah, sure. Um, you mentioned earlier that he joined the uh, SPR in 1893. He actually set up the Hampshire Society for Psychical Research in, I think it was about 1889. So he was, you know, very closely involved with with all this stuff beforehand. But he was invited by two of the classic great ghost hunters, um, Frank Podmore and Sidney Scott, to join them um, uh, in Devon, a uh, county in the, the west side of England. And... Uh, because there had been poltergeist activity reported. Now, in the history of spiritualism, he writes about this much later, and he and he gives the following story. He says, um, uh, you know, that the three of us went down there, and on the first night, nothing happened. The house was a great big house in the countryside, owned by a colonel, Colonel Elmore. You know, so quite precise about this, uh, and that the colonel had been so worried by these incredible noises and bangings and rappings that had been coming from um, unexplained sources that he was on the edge of moving out, he was terrified. And so they investigated, and the first night there was nothing there. The second night, one of the other investigators left, leaving, I think it was uh, Frank Podmore and and Conan Doyle to continue. They stayed up all night, and about they'd set up all these strings uh, across passageways, so that if anything went past and went down the passageway, it would break the string. So it was evidence that there'd been you know, physical intervention, and mm. that, that there was a reason for, you know, uh, a, a corporeal reason for why uh, these um, uh, noises were happening. But what, what he said in, in his History of Spiritualism was about middle of the night, about two in the morning, say, um, suddenly they heard a noise coming from the kitchen as if a table was being belaboured with a cudgel. Bang, 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 bang. They ran there. They checked all of the uh, past, uh, uh, all the threads, nothing. So the kitchen was locked from the outside they went in nothing there and uh, this was genuine poltergeist activity he then wrote that about 10 years later a body of a child was found in the back garden and that this in some way accounted for the poltergeist activity he was writing that in the 1920s there is a contemporary account that he wrote to a friend of his jack payne and the story is completely different um and, you know, in this story, what happens is, or in this account, what happens is that they're called to Devon and it's a smuggler's cottage, a tiny little place down by the sea with a small family in it. Um, uh, an Irish maid that they suspected was causing the trouble and a 17 year old son who the first night they stayed, as they said, the second night they stayed as well. And about two o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the morning, the son invited them to join him for a drink. And uh, they declined. And he said, oh, I've just got to pop out. So he did. He popped out for 15, 20 minutes. And then he got back in. And then about 10 minutes after that, 15 minutes after that, this noise started coming from the kitchen. But bear in mind that we're in a cottage now. We're not in a sort of locked up, self-contained, you know, kitchen in the middle of a big house. And they ran in and there was no evidence for the noise. But both of them were pretty convinced that it was the son had got somebody to perform a prank. So they're two completely different stories. Now that account, the earlier account, is the one that concurs with uh, Frank Podmore's account. So 
by the mid-1920s, this entire event has changed in his mind. The fact is he was an incredibly creative man and memory is not a question of replaying what happened in the past. Memory, the psychologists have been doing studies on this and they found that it's actually creative each time. Every time you remember something, you change it. So you may be absolutely, and I've had this happen where I've, I've sworn blind that I knew something was true and then someone's shown me a photograph and it's just not true. And I think that happened with Conan Doyle. Oh, um, so he's basing his faith on a, on, a, on, a, on a misremembered memory. And that's, that's very interesting. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, because the only thing that's the same about that story is the banging noise, really, right. and the, the kind of the, the location-ish. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Fascinating. So um, are you, do you have any plans to write about any of the other famous writers from your area? Or well, is Conan Doyle the most interesting? Wow. Conan Doyle is, is wonderful, isn't he? I mean, he's, yeah. he's rich, varied, varied, fascinating. Yeah. But actually, um, yes, I've, I've already started working on uh, something about Rudyard Kipling, uh, because what happened with Kipling was that he came over, he was, he was, his parents were civil servants in India, and they brought him back to England because they didn't want him growing up in India. They lived next to a Parsi cemetery, which did sky burials. And I don't know if you, do you know what a sky burial is? No. Okay, so the, so the bodies are left in this temple. Uh, just open to the elements, and vultures come down and and pick them clean. Okay. okay. And oh, he lived. Really? Yeah, it's like it's like the old Indian, you know, Native American um, uh, way of of doing things. Um, and what would happen is that from time to time, um, a body part would be found in the back garden where the vulture had dropped it. Sure. And whilst Kipling, as a sort of four year old boy, thought that was really fascinating, his mum didn't think it was such a big and great one. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, right. So she, the parents decided to send him back for schooling in Britain and they, for, for whatever reason, decided to send him to Portsmouth. And whilst he was here, um, they'd chosen the nanny, you know, this 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 uh, uh, nanny stroke governess, not exactly a governess, but yeah, the, the woman, the foster mother, I guess, really, is what you'd call her, um, you know, through her um, credentials. And she seemed to be fine. Uh, but once he arrived with his younger daughter, with his younger sister, uh, she basically turned into a psychopath. She uh, was deeply, deeply religious, and she was convinced that he had something of, the, of evil about him, and that he was a born liar. And over the coming six years, she beat him. She got the kids at school. She manipulated because she had a son that also was was sharing a room with Kipling. Uh, and for example, I'll give you a great example of it. Um, uh, the son would sit by the bed when Kipling went to bed. And you're we're talking about a six-year-old, seven-year-old boy who'd just gone to come back from school, is tired out. And the son would say, what did you do today? And Kipling would answer. And then he'd go, right, now let's start again. And if there was any discrepancy between the first account and the second account, he was lying. Not just that he was tired and he made a mistake. And so that would then be told to the mum the following morning, and he would be beaten for that. Um, he was sent to school with placards around his neck saying liar, things like this. I mean, we're talking. He was being gaslighted. He, I, I don't know that phrase, but yeah, it sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's what gaslighting is. Okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, it was extraordinary. By the age of 11, uh, he had a nervous breakdown. Um, but all of this stuff, 
I mean, you know, the, the final thing was that his eyesight started to go because he was he was reading loads and loads to escape from this world that he was in. And by the age of 11, his, his eyesight started to go, at which point uh, Mrs. Holloway was her name, actually um, uh, uh, punished him for showing off for needing to wear glasses. I mean, just what, what the mentality is there is, is, is unbelievable. So she left him alone in the house while the, whilst the whole household decamped to go on holiday somewhere else, at Eastbourne or somewhere else. And he was left alone. He wasn't allowed out of the house. He ended up just like counting how many handspans the, the, the height of the stairs was and things like this. I mean, two weeks of just complete solitary confinement, essentially. Uh, and that was, you know, that was really what sent him, broke him down. But that tough childhood, the way that he escaped from it was he would go down into the cellar and he would start to invent alternative worlds. And that was his escape. If you think about the Jungle Book, and I'm not talking about the, the 1960s Disney cartoon, which has got right. nothing to do with the Jungle Book. It's, it's, right. it's completely nothing to do. But if you read the original Jungle Books, what they are is the story of a young boy abandoned in, in a violent, dangerous jungle. That is Kipling's experience in Portsmouth. And what it does is it feeds into loads of his other writing. Kim you know, in, in the extraordinary story, story set in India, Kim is a orphan. He's an orphan boy who's abandoned amongst the Indians. In Captain's Courageous, the story of Harvey Chain, who's, who's a spoiled American child uh, traveling across the Atlantic who falls into the sea, is separated from his parents, therefore, and is picked yeah. up by a fishing boat on the Grand Banks. We have an orphan child, essentially, you know, an abandoned child. This motif recurs over and over again in his work and it's part of what makes him great as a writer so uh, that's another piece of work that i'm looking at at the moment i'd actually like to do some fiction about that oh fascinating yeah well you know you say you write what you know and it sounds like yeah. kipling did yeah abso absolutely absolutely i mean yeah uh, extraordinary and his writing is is I didn't understand because I because I, I saw the Kipling uh, because I saw the Jungle Book cartoon. I didn't realize how good he was. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the, the Disney cartoon is great. I mean, it's, it is what it is, but it's got nothing to do with Kipling. You know, apart from the names of the characters. Right, right. Yeah. Well, Disney Disney has a way of doing that with stories. It has yeah. nothing to do with what the story actually actually was. No. Wow. So you have you're living in a place where you're just rich with ideas, aren't you? With, yeah. Yeah. With I resources. just I tell you, I mean, when I started getting into the history of Portsmouth, um, it's just extraordinary. I mean, you know, because it was the it's still Britain's premier naval base. So the history here is extraordinary. You know, the, basically the the time of the British Empire and all of that stuff, you know, so much of it happened go, with, with ships and troops leaving from Portsmouth. You know, it, it got its first charter in, uh, I think, 1194. So, you know, it just goes back and back and back, the history. And, and there was, it was also the hub of a, of a, of a breakaway Roman Empire in, the, in about 385 AD. You know, it's just amazing. And Conan Doyle is, is a wonderful historical figure and one of, one of many that come from Portsmouth. But I, I do love Conan Doyle. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, I do too. It's very so, fascinating. Go ahead. So, so all right, so... We're we're back to Mr. Doyle. What what what's what's your what are your thoughts and feelings on the paranormal feel spiritualism? Yeah. What, 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 how do you feel about that? I think it's a great question. It's it's one of the questions that I've kind of assiduously 
uh, avoided uh, throughout the you know throughout this sure. book um, and, and I've done that deliberately uh, because um, in the book I've taken a completely neutral stance it is not my job to criticize Conan Doyle nor is it my job to um, uh, to uh, put forward uh, the ideas of a faith you know what I wanted to do was to understand entirely or to the best of my ability how Conan Doyle got into his spiritualism and, I, and I've, I found that the interesting thing so for that reason I've, I've stepped away from answering that question within the confines of the book um, uh, and and I you know I don't want to alienate my readers by them thinking oh this guy's biased because I've been so careful not to be biased I've I've really right. kind of told the story as cleanly as I can about Conan Doyle and I think he's an extraordinary man. Um, my own view is that uh, you know in 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 English law in English common law there's guilty and not guilty, but there's in in um, in Scottish law which is a different legal system uh, there are three verdicts possible. There's guilty, not guilty, and not proven. And I go with that one. I go with not proven. For me, it isn't proven, but that doesn't mean that at some point it may be, you know, it, it doesn't mean that at some point it, it won't ever be proven. I'm, I'm willing to kind of entertain these ideas because they fascinate me. I think they're really, really interesting. Um, so, yeah, so that's where I am. And, and that's why I've kept a neutral stance. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's really important that, that, the thing that I've really learned from this, because I've, I've had lots of uh, contact with spiritualists, is actually how interesting and, and kind spiritualists are, uh, very many of them. They've been, they've been great people to, to work with and to interview and, to, um, you know, to, to go to their archives and understand. And it's been, yeah, fascinating. Cool. So there you go. Deep respect. Though I do not go with the program, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Well, you know, there are days I don't go with the program, too. <laughs> and there are days I do. It's I, you know, I look at it as kind of a preponderance of the evidence, as opposed to they, you're right. It's not proven. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Conan Doyle. I mean, you know, in his world, by by his lights, he was absolutely convinced that it was, absolutely and utterly. And in, you know, he sat in on seances, loads of seances in his life. He's he's got notebook upon notebook upon notebook filled with um observations from seances and from interviews with others he's got stacks and stacks of letters from people saying oh you know i went to a medium and and uh, they told me stuff that nobody else could possibly know and, and all that stuff yeah. you know yeah. so have you ever attempted to walk in his shoes a little bit and go to a seance or sit in with a medium or any of those things when I was a child i did when i was just sort of you know sort of when, when, when i say child i mean teenager um right. Uh, but you know, nothing came of it particularly. I, it would be it would be interesting to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be fascinating, especially as you've looked at this man's life and really in depth studied it. It would be interesting to kind of trace his steps in some ways and try some of the things he tried, and see if you can get inside of of why he was so absolutely sure. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think you know one of the things that I, I do, I have looked at is I've looked at um, you know psychology um, and the unconscious, and I think it's certainly true that one of the things that he doesn't take account of is is the unconscious because it, there wasn't a theory of the unconscious strongly right. developed during that period, and there's all sorts of. For example, he did very early on in the 1880s, he did experiments with a friend of his, Henry Ball, in which they did. Um, 
psychology uh, in which they did telepathy experiments and he said you know time and time again we'd sit at opposite ends of the room with backs to each other and we would um you know replicate uh, a, a drawing that the other one had done with, without any communication and he was convinced that that was evidence of telepathy i think in the modern day uh, there are many theories to do with the fact that you start to slip into thought patterns with other people if you spend a lot of time with them, um, that you start to pick up on cues uh, on uh, of what people are thinking if you if you know them well, and and these are all unconscious. They're not you know they don't slip in uh, on a kind of you know noted conscious level. So that's kind of you know that that's interesting. Those kind yeah. of yeah. we have more knowledge now. Yeah. So you said that you just completed a novel. Yeah, yeah. So, what is it? One that you're publishing? Um, yes, at the moment I've got to. I I, I am going to publish it. I, I'm either going to publish it through my publishing house, or I'm going to get an agent and do it. I'm just in the throes of that at the moment. But it's called the Snow Witch, and it's the story of a. Um, my stories I set them in Portsmouth because Portsmouth is a rich vein for me, um, and the Snow Witch is the story of a, a mysterious. Uh, violinist, a woman who appears in the streets of Portsmouth during a snowstorm and she has a dark, dark history that slowly starts to unfold as she starts to build relationships with people in Portsmouth and um, you begin to realise that uh, she's a refugee from uh, uh, from the Balkans during the awful uh, massacres that occurred in the 1990s and that she has a dark, dark past, but also that she is not quite human. And that also hmm. starts to get interesting. Wow, that sounds interesting. Well, hopefully that comes out soon then. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going through the drafts at the moment, just, just tidying it, but yeah. Sure, you know, you can go through drafts forever, tidying it and never mm. be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, very, very, yeah, that's true. But you know what they say, a work of art is never finished, it's only abandoned, you know. That's so. probably true. That's you're probably right. So do you prefer fiction or nonfiction? Um <laughs> two completely different parts of the brain, really. Um yeah. you know, I, I when I'm reading when I'm reading nonfiction, what happens, I, th I think, is that my imagination goes into overdrive and I'm kind of going, God, I can use all of this raw material. It's like, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's like putting um, wheat into a into into a mill and kind of producing all this you know stuff it's it's amazing whereas when I'm reading fiction I don't feel that I can use it because I've got an end product so right. so I, I kind of yeah I love fiction I adore I really really enjoy fiction do I enjoy, and as for writing it again two very different things I think for me what non-fiction does is it enables me to kind of sort out what I'm thinking about something in a very particular mm -hmm. way Whereas with fiction, it gives me a freedom to just go for it and and kind of let let my uh, imagination take wings. So they're right. two very good things. Yeah. So what inspires the imagination most? Is it an event? Is it a person? Is it a location? Is it a mashup of all of those things? Yeah, it could be could be any of them. I mean, I I I, I wrote a story, uh, a sort of long short story, um, uh, a few years ago called "Turn the Tides Gently." And what happened with that was that I woke up one morning about four in the morning and it was a summer's morning. So the sun hadn't come up yet, but there was a little bit of light in the sky. And I walked down to the beach and just sat by the beach and the moon was still up, full moon, um, across the water. And I just sat enjoying the silence of the city at that time in the morning. 
and then something crossed the line of the moon's path on the on the water and i thought what would that be if that was a swimmer who would that person be and why would they be out at four o'clock in the morning and uh you know with the silence all around you and that started turn the tides gently which is a story about another fantastical creature about a mermaid oh so uh, you do you do you you think what if and then it goes from there right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that's one yeah. way of doing it that's one way of doing it sometimes just a really strong image comes in it's like well i'm having that you know yeah absolutely so uh, i i want to just ask briefly um because mm. you you worked in egypt I did, yeah, right? yeah. Yes. And I find it kind of interesting because, I mean, that's rich in culture of the belief in life after death. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the same things we're kind of talking about in a way, you know. Um, yeah. What What did you think about that culture? I mean, knowing your thought process and stuff, what, what did you think about that? God, I loved Egypt. Egypt was great. At the time, it was before, you know, the troubles in the Middle East that have, that have so exploded in the last few years. And I'm sure that if I went out there now, I'd find a much changed country. But back then, uh, the Egyptians have got a reputation for being very funny. And uh, they really are. Uh, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're pr playing practical jokes and pranks all the time. You'd walk down the street, they're always really friendly. Marhaba, welcome to Egypt, marhaba. Um, and that was great fun. Uh, so I got on personally really well with the Egyptians. Um, but there was also the other side to it, which is that I was a lone traveler in Egypt. I was teaching um, for the British Council, and that meant that I had a lot of time in Egypt to do my own thing, and I was there off tourist season. And I can remember, you know, for example, I took a car out to um, Saqqara, which is this um, – uh, what's called the bent pyramid. They, they'd started building a pyramid. They put it at the wrong angle and they realized it would collapse. So they, they bent it in slightly at the top. Um, and I went into that pyramid entirely on my own, uh, down into down through the shaft and sat in the middle of the pyramid um, for about, must have been about 20, 25 minutes, just in this kind of complete and utter silence through, you know, hundreds of meters of, of, uh, of stone. And that was really quite an extraordinary experience to just kind of sit there and kind of go, wow, you know, four or five thousand years ago, some guys got together and built this thing and it's still standing. That's just, yeah. a you know, yeah, wow. quite. Yeah, that would be amazing. That mm. would be I've, I've never I actually have I, other than Canada and Mexico, I haven't traveled out of the United States and I would love mm. to go to Egypt and Europe and, you know, all over the place someday when the kids are out of college. Don't yeah, have to pay for absolutely. college anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, it, I mean, for me that was a that was an extraordinary time. But there was all sorts of places. I I went to the Valley of the Kings as well, and and um, uh, you know, went into uh, various uh, of the of the tombs there, mm -hmm. and that's an extraordinary complex. You know, the Valley of the Kings, just extraordinary. And then and then I climbed up over the top of the ridge and went down into Hatshepsut's Hatshepsut's temple on the other side. Um, that's a good, you know, sort of two mile walk through the desert. And that was like, hmm, OK, this is interesting. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was cool. It was fun. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's weird. You say that they have a, uh, I, I just see Egyptians, people being having a, like that sense of humor, like playing, you know, they seem very stalwartly and just serious and, you know, not not being, you know, that kind of. A, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what it for me, what was what I found really interesting was, um, I mean, there is a serious side to them. Obviously, I mean, the the, the very strongly religious uh, people are are you know they're very serious and and they have their own things going on, and that's fine. But what I found was that the people on the streets when you're just walking down the street and you know that they just talk and they laugh and they play and it's and it's you know it's like the working class actually mm-hmm. you know great fun actually great fun to be around um uh, and uh i think the other thing was that they responded to me differently to other people who worked at the british council i i'm quite chatty and you know enjoy no having- no, stop. stop Enjoying of a chat with people, you know, I, was, I love it, and and so I didn't speak at first. Didn't speak that much Arabic. I I, I picked the Arabic up as I was going along. Um, but they used. To, I can remember taxi drivers. They'd be driving me places and go, "Where are you from then?" And I would say, "Well, guess." And they would guess every country in the world except Britain, because. Uh, they've got an idea in their mind that all British people are kind of, you know, a bit stiff and, and pompous and, and all that kind of stuff, um, which I hope I'm not, you know. Um, uh, and, and so they just didn't believe me. They, 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 they were telling me I was Italian and blah, 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 yeah, all, all sorts of other, you know, nationalities, but I couldn't be British. And I guess that's part of the old imperial hangover, you know, because they were an imperial possession and they were treated like crap by the British. That's the reality of the situation. Um, so, yeah, that was that was interesting to kind of meet that. We were talking earlier on about prejudices and, you know, yeah. actually, you know, it was interesting to kind of meet that prejudice and to see, because I think Britain is very good at lying to itself. I'm not going to go into as loads of detail here, but it's very, very good at kind of like allowing itself to get away, get off the hook for lots of bad stuff that it did in the past, um, uh, especially like... Um, uh, the way it treated India, for example, and uh, anyway, all sorts of stuff like this. Um, and it's very interesting to actually encounter, you know, for a completely unfiltered what outsiders think of the British. And that's that's you know, yeah, that was that was a good learning curve. That really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we get a little of that as Americans too. Yeah. We get a lot yeah. of that as Americans yeah, too. Probably the Americans and British, uh, you know. Are, <laughs> I, I think the Americans are less liked right now than the British, though. I think that's probably true. I think when you've been top nation, top nation, when top you've dog. been top, yeah, then, uh, you know, then you, you make enemies, basically. That's just how it is, you know. So, but that shouldn't allow the individual to be shaped by, by the nationality. The individual is the individual. And, uh, you know, and that's what I, I really saw in, in Egypt. I just love that, that they, they, they kind of, they, they just were very welcoming and, and really good fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Okay, well, you know what? You are, it's, what's it like, uh, 4.30, no, 3.30 now? 3.40, yeah, something about, like that? About quarter to four, yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. All yeah. right, so let's do this. Let's let you shamelessly self-promote so you can go back to bed. <laughs> oh, well, the, 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 I'd forgotten why I was here. I was just, you know, <laughs> Okay, so listen, guys. So I've 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 written this book, Conan Doyle and the Mysterious World of Light, and it's an account of Conan Doyle's spiritualism from, well, before eighteen eighty seven to nineteen twenty, when he leaves the shores of the UK to go on spiritualist missionary work around the world. If you've ever been fascinated by Sherlock Holmes um, and by the writer Conan Doyle then this gives an insight, a unique insight into his thinking and the way that he got into his beliefs in a way that you just won't find anywhere else. Um, the 14 Times recently reviewed it and, and gave it absolutely fantastic reviews. Um, I love it. 
I loved writing it. And um, I'm sure that you'll love reading it too. So here's how you can get hold of a copy. You can either buy it direct from the publisher's website. The, the publisher is called Life is Amazing, okay, which is kind of cool. Life is amazing, right? Yeah. So you can buy it from the publisher's website. There's a store on the publisher's website, lifeisamazing.co.uk, because, as they say, life is amazing. Alternatively, you can get it from Amazon. You can order it straight from Amazon um, and deliver it to your door, of course. And I, you know, if you order it from my website as well, you can get it delivered from the, to your door also. Now, um, there are three versions of the book. Um, there's the paperback. Uh, which I think is about 20 bucks, somewhere around there in the US. There's the hardback, which I have to say is a handsome volume. Uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's a pretty thing, that hardback. It's it, Says I, the man who loves books, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. right, right. It, it looks fantastic on the shelf. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a good design and it's great. So there's the paperback and hardback, but there's also, uh, and you can only get this from Life is Amazing, there is a limited run of 50 uh, books, uh, about 30 of them already sold, um, which is available only from Life is Amazing. And this is the limited 50 print uh, run of the book. And it's got uh, a, a limitation page saying this is book one of 50 or two of 50 or whatever. Um, uh, and it's also signed by me as well. So those are your options. And if you would like to support the work that I've done, because it took, it was, it was hard work, this book, I can yeah. tell you. <laughs> There's a lot of research in this book, and I've, I've got to get on and do the next one. If you, if you want to help me along with that, and uh, you know, do, do please order because that, that would be great, and it would it would validate the the uh, amount of hard work that I've, that I that I put into it, and I would really appreciate. So um, people will ask, is it available as an ebook? Uh, I yes, I I'd forgotten about the whole ebook thing. I have actually only just recently. I have um, released it as a Kindle ebook, absolutely. Okay. So it is also available on Amazon, yes. But it was only okay. available previously as hardback and paperback, or softback, as you might say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that's because you're a book guy and you like real books. It's true. I do. I do. Yeah. So, so just to give you that title again, just so that we're clear, because I'm not sure I gave the title properly. It's Conan Doyle and the Mysterious World of Light. Cool. And your website is lifeisamazing.co.uk that's the publisher's website yeah but you said it's available on your website too well yeah but i meant the i meant the, the publishing website okay yeah. all right very cool um thank you thank you for getting out of bed uh digging your bathrobe very nice and your and your your teacup and thank you you are welcome back anytime when you come out with the second book you know anytime come come talk to us again if yeah. you want to get up in the I'd middle of the night again Guys, this has been great fun. It's been lovely to meet you. Really, really Yeah, lovely. it's been fun yeah. talking to you, too. Thank you. Have Take a good night. Bye. 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 Thanks, Matt. All right, guys. There he goes. Uh, great guest, Cheryl. Like did, you, did you pick that one out? That was good. Yeah, yeah interesting like stuff. He was great. That was awesome. I like, I like talking <laughs> about things that are a little different from time to time. And, yes, uh, you know, Conan Doyle, is, it looks like, well, we kind of, you know, we kind of consider uh, the SPR sort of our, our parent organization in a lot of ways. And, and so yeah. he had the scoop on, on the early, the early years. Yeah. A, a lot of that I had, I had never heard before. It's very interesting. Good stuff. Yeah. And his website again is life is amazing. Co. Co. Uk. Uk. So go and buy some books. Yeah, definitely. I, I 
I want to read the book. It sounds yeah, fantastic. So it sounds fascinating. It sounds like just from talking to him, you can tell that he's got the ability to uh, bring a character to life and it's not going to be know. a dry, boring historical tome. No, no, not at all. So that was awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, you guys asked a lot of good questions. So I just was sitting there listening. Intriguing stuff. It was, was watching it Chad, it was watching good. Chad walk up. Okay, with so Chad, what the heck? Okay, that? okay. So I just looked up. I saw him leaning with the hat on. So like, what's Chad, going on? Uh, well, you guys are like in-depth, serious conversation with our guest, yes. Matt. Chad. Okay, this has a huge. It's like a two-foot-long wizard's hat. Okay, he puts it in. This was Corey's hat. Corey. Okay, let me, real quick. Is it Corey? from Disneyland? Is it one of the ones that no, lights up? I got. No, it doesn't line up. I got it from a costume uh, store where we used to live, by, like around the block from where we used to live. It's like a high-quality wizard's hat. And Corey, my son, I bought it for him. He was like seven or eight at the time, and it was Halloween, and he was dressing as Harry Potter. And this was like even before Harry Potter was even that popular. But he anyway, he was like seven or eight at the time. Now Corey's 21. So this was like probably even before. I don't know if it was before the first movie, but after the first book, something like that. And so we've had this wizard's hat all this time. And Corey decided he he moved out. He moved out on his own. He decided not to take this wizard's hat. And of course, Chad, my husband, now is in possession of the wizard's hat. And he likes to wear the wizard's hat. And so he came up and freaked Matt out during his serious talk on the webcam. I felt bad. <laughs> Has he? Ha, does he wear it to the grocery store? Not yet. But he tells me he's wearing it out to one of his role-playing conventions in a couple weeks. He, swear, <laughs> he swears to me he's going to do it. That is some prime nerd you're oh, married to yeah. there, Cheryl. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Our, yes. I'm surprised our guest kept it together because I he saw him. He together. just kept on the. He did. He he actually stumbled a little bit. I've got to say, but he did fine. He yes. he he held out as long as he could with Chad waving his head around in the stupid wizard hat. It's awesome! Look at he's got it on now. Oh I God. see that. Yes, that's nice. That's nice. You know Sorry what they about say that, about the, you know what they say about big wizard hats. Yes, I, I heard that. I heard that. He just said he's wearing his eye hop. Oh, very good. I don't know where that. Okay. You know, it's too bad that he's married now because he could get the ladies with that. Yeah, that hat, man. Damn, I'm gonna give me one of those. Maybe I'll get a date for wizard hat. Yeah. Get the ladies. Yeah, he's laughing at you guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So is he also going to um, start LARPing? And if so, will he be wearing the wizard hat? He he doesn't do that. Um, the the is that live action role playing? Work, yeah. He does the he does the gaming the uh, you know. The I didn't know what it actually stood for. So. Yeah, it's live action. He doesn't do live action, but hey, you never know. Got yeah, the hat now. He can. Got the hat. Started on the costume. He start doing um. What's that thing? Cosplay is cosplay, that what it's yeah, called? Cosplay. Yeah. Oh, I got he friends that uh, here. Yeah. I know do it. He yeah. doesn't do that, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you do never that. know. Uh, no. Oh, so. No, no cosplay. Um, so the website is temporarily unavailable, but we're working yes. on it. Yeah, hopefully I'll have that fi- fixed by this weekend. But right now it's just, you know, it's down. So don't don't get scared. We'll be back. Um, and uh, when we do come back, go check us out, paranormalunderground.net. And um, like I said, email us your questions for our 300th show, editor at paranormalunderground.net. Oh, yeah. And your dreams. 
and your dream uh, because Karen will interpret it and that will be lots of fun. Yeah, because you want me to interpret your dream so you don't have to hear about mine. It's the thread I make to our readers. Yes. You, were in you don't my want to hear about my dreams? Send you were in my dream last night, Karen. I was? Yeah. Oh, my God. What was I doing? Uh, we had something to do with weed. Well, that explains it. Yeah, weeds? It was marijuana. Like weed. Oh, like, oh like, like not lawn like weeds. Like pots. Like, like, yeah, yeah okay. stone. Like. What? Because I'm like from the state where it's legal. So clearly yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a well, pothead. I, clearly it's a dream. So I'm, I'm I sorry if pass, it came I could totally. Way. I just want to point something out. I could totally pass a piss test right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was something about like, I don't know. It was like this. It was weed. It was in like this little cellophane thing. And we, I don't know why it was really weird. And I woke up and was like, what the heck was that about? Maybe you should send it to me to interpret because it clearly didn't mean what you think it did. What, my dream or the weed? I don't know what marijuana in a dream means. I would have to look that up. <laughs> I know, that was, that was really weird. I don't Bob know what it was. Says, was she a sheep? <laughs> in your dream, was she, remember? Where no, she, she wasn't a sheep. No. Did you find that story yes, today or did you find it before the dream? Before the dream. Uh-huh. Before the dream. You were. That's why. Probably, probably yeah. yeah, it was probably it was all weird. processed. Because we were like in, uh, uh, we were in some some house. I just remember we were in, a, in a house. That's all I remember. We were talking, and then something to do with some weed. And the, uh, it, was, it was weird. And I woke up and I was like, okay, I didn't even make any sense out of that. But it was just interesting. Like, well, Karen was in my dream finally. Look at that. Yeah. yeah all right. Well, so I have something else I can share. Yeah. Share. Share away. Well, so I'm taking a break from paranormal investigation for a while. You are, are you? I am. Stepping yeah. Stepping down. Dancing. I am. I am. I just feel that um, right now investigating isn't what I'm interested in. I want to find other ways to help. And um, I just, I don't really enjoy the investigations anymore. So I've, I've stepped down from investigation and, and um, stepped away from South Sound Paranormal Research, which makes me sad because, you know, I've been with them a long time and I, and I love them. Um, but yeah, so I've I I am no longer I am no longer part of a paranormal team, and that may or may not change. I don't have any immediate plans. Um, you know, I'm focusing more on the energy healing and the uh, the work with spirits and that. Type are we of like stuff. on the, are we on the same track or what? Because I haven't done any investigations. I don't have a team now. My stuff's just kind of like chilling there. I may have some of it around, but I haven't really. I've been so into doing the other stuff like the the Reiki you've been teaching me and mm-hmm. everything else. I'm kind of being drawn towards that. Well, that's more it. I, yeah, that's it. I've been moving in the direction that I'm drawn. And um, I've known for a while that it was probably away from investigation. I have nothing but respect for people who re- investigate. I think that's mm-hmm. a really important piece of the puzzle. Um, and for a while it was interesting to me. And now it's just, it's just not where my heart is anymore. So... I hear you. Yeah. Well, it, but plus two, you know, when you're connecting on a different level, like for me, it's kind of hard because it's like I have the equipment and I want to use the equipment, but I connect in such a, 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 a different level that I, that I enjoy more, that's yeah. more fulfilling. Well, you know, I'm a disaster with the equipment. <laughs> I have and so much so... equipment. It's like, what am I going to do with mine? You know, stuff, you know what I mean? But, you know. Uh... but no, I hear you. Bob says, Karen, do you think many of us are being directed to the path of energy work? Um, I think that if it's if if that's in your calling, if that's something that that yeah, I think that that there are people that are moving in that direction. And 
you know, I think there's a need for everything, for the energy work and the psychic work and the, the people who go in and do the investigations. And, you know, I think there's even um, a place for, like, the people who work as exorcists and things like that, that with the religious stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a path for all of it. And for me, I realized when I, the, with the classes I've been teaching and the work I've been doing, that's really where my heart is right now, is is helping other awesome. people to find ways to use use their own gifts and abilities in the world. Exactly. I agree 100%, because that's exactly the same road I'm taking, so that's good. Yeah, plus, you, you, should, know, your... you should move to Washington, and we could be partners. I know we could. could be the mm -hmm. two crazy psychics. <laughs> well, I do like the the. I mean, I'm telling you, the other day when I did the, the was it it was yesterday morning when that happened. That was like a trip for me doing Reiki because I've been doing the you yeah. know 15 points and doing all that. Well, so you need to say because was, there are people listening. You need to explain oh, what happened. Yes. Okay, so I've been doing it. You know, doing the 13 points and you know, which is he's been doing self. He's been doing self, self Reiki self treatments yeah. during meditation, yeah. right? Yeah, and Chuck Ray and do all the symbolism and stuff, and then, and then say thank you for not being worried, not being angry, working right. honestly, you know, all that stuff. And then, yeah. uh, but the other day, uh, and I've been feeling, I, I can feel energy in my hands a lot, a tingling and stuff. It's very subtle, but this was not quite as subtle. This was like uh, if I had two heaters for my hands. I mean, I put them up to my face, and they weren't even close to my face, and no. I, all of a sudden, this heat just Man, it was like radiant. Like my whole face was warm. I'm thinking, is it, you know, I'm, of course I'm logical. First, I'm thinking, am I breathing into my hands? Is it, you know, I'm like, uh, well, maybe. so then I move it to the side of my face. No, it's not because everywhere I went on my body, I felt this huge amount of warmth. I mean, just crazy. So sometimes, um, that, sometimes that happens. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, but I would tell you, I want to tell you what I tell people all the time. And you've okay. probably heard me say this too. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just told our good friend Jay Verberg this weekend <laughs> this, that um, get out of your logical brain when you have these experiences. Allow yourself the experience. Don't try to analyze it. Allow yourself the experience and worry about analyzing it later when you've got time to do it. Because yeah. when you immediately start to think, oh, my God, what's going on? Is this this or is this? You're, you're stepping away from the experience and you may be missing something that the universe is giving you to help mm -hmm. you move along in your path. It's good advice. I will do that. Oh, uh, I did, did, did it happen again today and I just kind of I, but since it happened today I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool." So I, I kind of I suppose did what you said, would just just let it yeah, flow. Yeah, just allow and, it. Just allow yeah. it and don't analyze it. Amazing. Just be in the moment and be in the experience. And then if you feel like you need to do it later. Mm -hmm. Um analyze it later. But like last night, so I did I went to yoga and then mm -hmm. I went and then I did Nia. What's, and what's Nia? What's Nia, Nia is a form of dance exercise that oh. I do. So I did okay. the yoga, and I was like super chill after the yoga. And she used yeah. this um, the at part at the end of the yoga, you lie in uh, shavasana, which is a, a, a final resting pose. Mm -hmm. And she did an aromatherapy thing, so she had some Dutera aromatherapy stuff that she gave each of us and stuff. And as soon as she gave me the aromatherapy stuff, I actually felt like my like my consciousness went whoop right up out of the top of my head and I was laying there and stuff. And then, so then I got up and I just kind of, after that, because there was like a half hour between yoga and Nia, but it's in the same place. I sat in the chair yeah. and then um, I did the Nia class. And at the end of Nia, again, you wind up in Shavasana, you wind up in, and Nia has a lot of uh, instinctual movement and improvisational dance and just being very, it's very being in the moment focused, which okay. I love. 
And so at the end, you wind up in Shavasana, final resting pose, which is on the back, on your back with your hands out to your sides and your feet out. And um, as I was lying there in Shavasana, it was almost like I was tripping balls, man. It was <laughs> I, seriously, I mean, like these visual things because my eyes were closed. Yeah. Yeah, and I had yeah. these visual things and just all of this. It was just, it was amazing. And I and I caught myself thinking, wait, what's going on? And I had to pull myself out of that thought, out of that, wait, what's going on? And just yeah, let myself just, let yeah. myself be in that experience. Yeah, it's hard to do. But the second you, you startle and you start to think about it, you mm -hmm. lose the experience. So Cheryl, we have a we we have a guest next week, and Karen, you say you're I'm on my own next week, right? Because you're not here. Uh, I am going to attempt again this time to go to White Light Paranormal Insights oh, Canton okay. Station tours. Last last yeah. month, I wasn't able to because I was sick. So okay. yeah, yes, yeah. I will be here. So what so what's going on next week, Cheryl? When I'm not going, what am I missing? Well, you're missing. Who do out. I have? You're missing out. Um, I'll, I'd like to to um, highlight a few guests upcoming. Um, sure. The first one's on the 23rd. It's Daryl E. Berry Jr., our good friend. Daryl <gasps> E. Berry! I love him! Yeah, he's TV. awesome. We could just talk to him forever and ever. And yes. He has a new book out, right? He does. He has a new book out. And um, it's called Forgive and Be Free. And it's a Course in Miracles and Practice series, book one. Uh, if you read his other books, um, it, they're, they're really interesting because they're not only talking about experiences and and they're talking about how to's so practical things that you can implement into your life mm -hmm. which are pretty cool so excited to talk to daryl again coming up and then also patrick keller who co-hosted with you last week karen yeah he's, he's coming on on the 30th june 30th the, he's from the big seance podcast and he has uh, investigated the great. paranormal in the past as well so we're going to be talking about some cool stuff there and then, of course, we have our 300th show on the 7th, July 7th. Yeah, party. Party. Party show. Mm -hmm. uh, so, come, you know, listen to us live then or on podcast. We'll take either. And then the 14th of July, we're going to have a very interesting guest on. And by the way, on our 300th show, Chuck and I plan to be just like naked wasted. Heck yeah. Are you going to yeah. have your webcams on? Because it might be, get a little awkward. <laughs> I'm not actually going to be naked, just naked wasted. <laughs> oh, okay. Just naked wasted. <laughs> Gotcha. We'll just be really, really happy and friendly. Yeah. All right, that's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> where was we I? Drink I'm so well, maybe I could be naked if you want. I mean, little yeah. champagne. <laughs> July fourteenth. All right, Karen Dahlman and and Patrick Keller really brought Karen to our attention. She is the author of the Spirits of Ouija: Four Decades of Communication, and Patrick says she's she's really enthralling. She, he's had her on his show four times and mm -hmm. her I haven't read her book yet but I just it sounds like a read that I I'm going to get and read hopefully before her show but um, really looking forward to that one cool, cool. yeah so awesome. that's what we've got upcoming so and next week is Marie D. Jones right yes yeah sorry uh, June t 16th Marie D. Jones uh, co-author of Ghost Spirits and Hauntings as well as a million other paranormal books oh, all yeah. awesome. sorts Brilliant. of stuff I yeah. know she makes me feel like a freaking underachiever <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
I just have her one book. It's was it called Science? Was P S Y? Yeah, I have Science Tarot. too. Yeah, that's yeah. a very that's a. I it's start reading it. I think my we've got that one here too. Wow, that's yeah, a popular it's, book. It's, okay, it's a crazy, mind blowing book. You know what we should do for our three hundredth show? What? We should each come up with our top ten book list for people to recommend to people. I like that. Ooh, better write that down. No. Yeah. Okay. Is this strictly nonfiction, or can it be paranormal fiction as well? Uh, it can be paranormal, metaphysical, spiritual. Just top okay. ten books that have kind of shaped your perceptions and made you look at the world in different ways and that type of thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like yes. that. I should have one too. All right. Good idea, Karen. Yes. All right. Well, it is time. It is time, folks. We must oh go. A minute longer than we have to. Oh, so yay. thank you, everybody, for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark here on MixLR. We'll be back next Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific. Other times elsewhere, do the math. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh, I like it. You guys have a good week. Good night. Good night. If you'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark, email us at editor at paranormalunderground.net. And until next week, remember this. If something looks out of place or doesn't feel quite right, it could just be something paranormal.